Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Tuesday, March 28th, 2017. And have we got a topic for you today. Very interesting. How education is killing your children. Yeah. Interesting. Your child's education, once it could be, is killing him and shortening his life expectancy. Now, I first suspected this when I looked at the Hispanic paradox. The Hispanic paradox is the um, paradox that Hispanics, uh, by the way, a Hispanic is, uh, that was counted in this study, is somebody who was not born in the United States but came here as an immigrant as a child. So those people, and a person uh, is from, uh, their first language is Spanish, those people live on average seven years longer than the next demographic of Americans. So they are the longest living Americans by a full seven years. That's a long time. And it's not just any old seven years. This is seven years of walking, talking, being independent. It's not seven years in a nursing home. Um, And one thing that sets Hispanics apart from other people in the United States is they have a much, much lower education level. So I think to myself, with a lifespan gain of seven years, this lack of education must play a positive role in their health. And so here it is, I kid you not, from, again, Family Medicine, Medscape, Medical Industrial Complex itself, their study, their numbers, not mine. This is Portland, Oregon. And the headline is, Healthy foods in schools might avert, that means prevent death, from diabetes and heart disease. Now, it just as well could be that dangerous foods in schools 
increased death from diabetes and heart disease. That's what we call the contrapositive. So if you make most pieces of the segment negative and then switch the order, boom, you also have another true statement. I learned that in uh, symbolic logic in sixth grade. At any rate, it says if U.S. elementary, middle, and high schools provided students with fresh fruits and vegetables and restricted the availability of sugar-sweetened beverages, this would reduce deaths from coronary heart disease, stroke, and diabetes in the general population many years later, according to a new study. This is shocking, absolutely shocking. To just the mere act of sending your kid to school and allowing him to eat a school lunch and allowing him to walk by a vending machine with soda pop and various sports drinks is shortening his life. Now, you have to ask yourself, why would a caring parent, and we can presume most parents care, allow their children to go to such a hazardous environment? Well, of course, of course, there's an upside. And so many parents believe the upside is that they'll, maybe they'll get a better job. Yeah. They'll be more successful, whatever that means. And they'll live longer. We now know that that's just uh, it's not the case. There's no evidence. No evidence of that. So let's take a look and see how bad it is. Specific U.S. school food environment policies involving fruit and vegetable pro- provision and sugar-sweetened beverage restriction would modestly improve diet and weight in children and could prevent up to 0.7% of all heart disease deaths, researchers estimate. Now you say, what's 0.7%? It's not not a big deal. But 0.7% of 800,000 or even 600,000, you know, that that adds up every year. You know, it's uh, nothing to um, sneeze at. So if we take the number uh, that we used in the last show that we got from the last uh, missive from these people, and we uh, multiply that times 0.007. Literally, 4,200 people every year die just because they went to a school that had these types of meal policies. And this is just the cardiac death. We didn't even count diabetic deaths. So 4,200 deaths a year. I mean... I think it's worth it. But let's think about this. When people commit, uh, I won't say murder, but when one person kills another person, do we really allow them 4,200 killings before we say, oh, wait, let's do something about this? All right, so let's see how bad it is. And this this is their study. So studies suggest that students consume over one third of their daily food intake when they are in school. Now, this is absolutely true. When you throw in the school breakfast program, the school lunch program, and the after-school program, there are kids out there who, who get close to 80 90% of their food from school. So this is a great intervention setting because we can implement policies to directly affect diet, um, says Catherine L. Rossetti, 
And she presented this study at the uh, Lifestyle 2017 Scientific Sessions. So rather than addressing diet and obesity later in life, I think we can make a really big impact by targeting these kids. I don't know what these kids mean. We'll just say all children. When they are young, she said. So physicians often focus on the individual patient. And for heart doctors and internists, this is mostly adults. But the diseases we are managing really reflect adverse behaviors that begin in childhood, he noted at HeartWire. This study shows that policies aimed at improving diet in children have beneficial effects that impact children, but also have a persistent effect in adulthood. I have to say, uh, my kids are now adults, you know, 20s, edging into their 30s. And they said, Mom, the one thing we're so thankful for was that you taught us how to eat healthy and make good-tasting, healthy food. So it, it makes a difference. And my children are substantially healthier than their peers, many of whom have, have diagnoses of various uh, chronic diseases. A chronic disease means a disease for which modern medicine has not been effective. effective. <laughs> All right. How schools can counter lifelong impact of suboptimal childhood diet. Now, the schools don't have to counter the lifelong impact because the schools are creating the lifelong impact by feeding the kids the stuff that they're feeding. And a school is an institution, and they have bulk purchasing and a lot of other practices that lead to pretty poor quality food. Let's see what these people say. The researchers developed a comparative risk assessment model to estimate how national health policies requiring that schools provide healthy fruits and vegetables, and restrict sugary drinks would affect the students' daily intake of these foods and beverages, their BMI, and their likelihood of death from heart and metabolic diseases. Let's not beat around the bush. Only metabolic disease is diabetes, so we're talking about heart disease and diabetes. The researchers identified 4,165 children and adolescents who are between 5 and 18 years old when they participated in a National Health Nutrition Examination Survey who had data for fruit, vegetables, and sugar-sweetened beverage intake. And so at baseline, on average, the children and teenagers were eating about 1 to 1.6 servings of fruit a day and about 1 to 1.5 servings of vegetables a day. The vegetables excluded any type of potatoes like french fries. The model predicted that a policy of providing fresh fruits and vegetables in elementary, middle, and high school would increase the student's daily fruit intake by about 14%, 19 19%, and 21%, but their vegetable intake would stay about the same. So on average, the children and adolescents in elementary, middle, and high schools were consuming 1.9 servings of sugar-sweetened beverages a day. That's a lot. But this would drop by 11% if schools restricted access to these beverages. So the researchers estimated that a policy to make sugary drinks less available in school would lower the BMI by about 0.2 kilograms per meter squared for children in every level of school, K through 12. They further assumed that the children and adolescents would keep 35% of the improvements in their diet as they grew older. And that's actually a pretty conservative assessment. I think if if these kids develop habits as children, and those habits keep them healthy, they would probably have a stick rate much higher than 35%. I would say certainly my children, I have three of them, 
uh, the stick rate for healthy eating has been pretty much, um, I would say, about 80%. So based on National Center of Health statistics showing there were 702,000 deaths from cardiometabolic disease, so they added in uh, to 600,000, they added in 102,000 from diabetes. The model predicted that 4,700 deaths per year would have been averted if these adults had been exposed to policies that provided students with fruit and vegetables and restricted access to sugary drinks in school. Now, so what this is really saying, which is shocking and alarming, is that the present policies are increasing annual adulthood death rates due to diet by 4,703 deaths per year. That is amazing. Now, what this was not counted here, obviously, is the number of, of people who are chronically ill and absolutely miserable, and maybe even on disability or unable to function to their full potential as adults. In other words, not able to fully assume their role as a provider, as a parent, uh, as a family member, or even member of society. So specifically, the model predicted that restricting sugary drinks in schools, which is, by the way, a simple matter, you just take out the vending machines, would avert an estimated 2,400 cardiometabolic deaths per year, and providing fruit would avert a similar number of cardiometabolic deaths, 2,100. So again, we're still up to our 4,500 or so deaths. However, providing students with healthy vegetables would avert only 165 deaths a year. Hmm. So simply adding fruits and taking away sugary drinks are um, the biggest activities or changes that could be made. So school policies for serving healthy food and beverages to students is just one piece of the puzzle to tackle childhood obesity and the cardiac and metabolic deaths that occur in adulthood. Since children and teenagers also drink sugary beverages in the home or in fast food restaurants, the school part policy would be only a part of it. Nevertheless, this model suggests that food policies in schools have an important impact on cardiometabolic health in adulthood. Now, this is this is absolutely appalling. So you have a, a child, your most arguably your most important asset, the most important thing you may ever produce in your lifetime, your child, and you're going to put him in this kind of willfully unhealthy environment. Now, it's no secret that someone completing K through 12 has just about zero employability, and people completing uh, the bachelor's degree are so saddled with debt that any job, job that they would get would put them further behind the eight ball than had they just stopped at high school. All right, but it doesn't stop there.
All right, we are connected again. So the other issue is that diseases, once um, the property or territory or domain of adults, is now being seen in younger people. And this, I thought, really shocking, is that colon and rectal cancers are rising in young people. This is, this is absolutely outrageous. This is atrocious. And what do we know about young people? What do they do? Well, they go K through 12, and if they're really successful, by golly, they go to college. And this article uh, features really a very kind of typical individual. And this is the New York Times, and this is February 28, 2017. And it says, cancers of the colon and rectum have been declining in older adults. That'd be people like me who are 60. In recent decades, and have always been considered rare in young people, but scientists are reporting a sharp rise in colorectal cancers in adults as young as their 20s and 30s. An ominous trend. I want to say, my medical practice is back in 1990-something. A young 23-year-old died of rectal cancer. Now, he was uh, a college student slash graduate. And what was his diet? Pizza. This guy was on the pizza beer diet. Now, anyone who takes a look at colon cancer knows that lots of cheese and lots of white flour is not good for the colon. And cancer of any kind grows when you add white flour, uh, alcohol, and even uh, cheese can make cancers grow. The vast majority of colorectal cancers are still found in older people, but 90% of all cases are diagnosed in people over 50. But a new study from the American Cancer Society that analyzed cancer incidence by birth year found that colorectal cancer rates, which had been dropping steadily for people born between 1890 and 1950, have been increasing for every generation born since 1950. Experts aren't sure why. Here's where I will add my editorial. So people born after 1950, that was the, uh, I'm, I'm just going to tail into that, tended to go to college, um, which means they spent a lot more time sitting, which means they uh, were basically forced to let this waste sit in their colons for a longer period of time. The other thing that happened is the school day was lengthened. When I first started going to school back in uh, 1962, the school day was only um, five hours. So it was like 8 a.m. to 1 or 8 a.m. to 2. And you were home, home by 3. Now, with the preschool lunch program and the after-school program, it is common for kids to literally leave their home at 7 a.m. and not get back home until 7 p.m. or even later. And what is this time spent doing? Sitting. Most of it is spent sitting. <laughs> So, rectal cancers are rising especially sharply far faster than cancers in other parts of the large intestine or colon. 
In other words, the problem is these kids are sitting, and that waste is just sitting right there at the rectal or end part of the intestines. So American Cancer Society estimates 13,000 new cases of colon and rectal cancer will be diagnosed in Americans under 50 this year, with more than 95,000 cases of colon cancer and nearly 40,000 cases of rectal cancer in all age groups. So this is a, this is a big deal. So 13,000 um, are going to be young people. And part of colon cancer therapy is to cut the belly open, take out the part of the colon that's not good, Especially if it's down very close to the rectum, this person's going to be wearing a bag the rest of their lives. That's not acceptable. It is the upward trend that is worrisome. The risk of colon cancer for individuals who were born in 1990 was 5 per million in that birth group, up from 3 per million at the same stage of life for those born in 1950. And the risk of rectal cancer for those born in 1990 was 4 per million, up from less than 1 per million. And so you have a quadrupling of these cancer rates. And as long as people go to school and sit in chairs for an extended period of time, this is not going to change. I remember when I was in medical school, that's when it really hit me. Because in college, even though I went to Harvard, it's very academic, lots of studying, you only had three hours of classes a day. That was pretty much as bad as it got. And that was only four days a week. When I got to medical school, holy cow, it was 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. in a seat. And uh, that ruined, nearly ruined my health. So I decided, whoa, this had to stop. And I organized a note-taking service so I didn't have to go to class except one day a, week, a month to take notes. So it's the professor of surgery at SUNY Downstate Medical Center. That's uh, New York City. I know because I'm from New York. He serves in the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable, uh, was not involved in the study, but he said the latest research confirms the problem is real and increasing. There's no mistaking these dramatic increases, especially for rectal cancers. Noting that the number of new colorectal cancers among people under 50 each year is more than the total number of new cases of less common cancers like Hodgkin's lymphoma, which, by the way, used to be a young person's cancer. So Mrs. Freiburg's mother, a registered nurse, kept pushing for more testing, and eventually convinced physicians to send her for a procedure called flexible sigmoidoscopy, which detected a large tumor in Ms. Freiburg's colon. Now, you have to take a look at Ms. Freiburg. Take a look at Ms. Freiburg. She is the face of the college graduate generation. So in other words, this person has been confined to a seat and imprisoned for the first 22 years, at least, of her life. Now, in this picture, you see she has a Vitamix with some green sludge in it. So you can see what she's doing for her cancer. So um, she obviously was having symptoms, like maybe rectal bleeding or constipation because this tumor was blocking uh, the exit. And she had a large colon. I still remember getting a phone call from the doctor who did the procedure who was completely shocked and said, I would never have guessed that a 22-year-old would have had cancer, said Ms. Freiburg, who was treated with surgery and chemotherapy and is now cancer-free. We know what that's worth. Most colorectal cancers are considered a disease of aging. 
So any increase in young adults, especially when rates of the disease are on the wane in older people, is both baffling and worrisome, experts say. Now, we've got to take a look at this. Supposedly, there's this big program underway to protect the health of young people by vaccinating them at birth, uh, before school, and during school, and especially in college. And we're seeing, along with this increased medical intervention, an escalating, skyrocketing cancer rate. Now, one per million doesn't sound like much, but one per million jumps to three per million, jumps to five per million. You you can see the writing on the wall here, the pretty fast progression, kind of like autism, you know, progress quickly. So colorectal cancer rates have declined overall in recent years thanks to widespread use of screening tests like colonoscopies. Again, if you look at the research, the medical research does not support that statement. Um, In fact, the colonoscopies have not improved cancer survival rate. Why? Because the polyps removed that are not cancerous most of them never would have become cancerous. And even people who get colonoscopies every year, every five years, they still get cancerous lesions in between their colonoscopy appointments. And so they still get cancer and they still die. So the decreasing rate can be attributed to other things, such as people doing more enemas, adopting different diets, which can detect precancerous polyps that be removed before cancer develops. These screening tests have not been considered practical for a younger population. And of course, it's not practical if you have a disease that only affects five per million. And it's just not practical to screen for that kind of disease because it doesn't happen often enough. And the false positive rate is um, or would be much, much, much higher than the actual disease rate. And while other less invasive screening tests exist, doctors are hoping improved methods that will be easier to administer will be developed. Experts also attribute lowering cancer rates to change in risk factors, particularly lifestyle changes like smoking, so stop smoking, and healthier diets. And so um, it's what I said before, is that older people, um, especially my generation on up, have adopted lifestyle changes like quitting cigarettes, they're vaping instead, um, cutting back to alcohol or quitting altogether, and eating diets that are organic and fresher foods. Diets include more fruits, vegetables, and fiber, and less red and processed meats are linked to lower colorectal cancer risk. Now, notice they didn't mention anything about organic. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is, this is the New York Times, but that's okay. Obesity and sedentary lifestyle are also associated with colorectal cancer. Ding, 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 ding. What do these college kids have? Totally sedentary lifestyle. They're literally chained to a seat for longer and longer hours. And heavy alcohol use. Well, howdy-doody. So there are a tremendous amount of alcohol use on college campuses. And I'm from Syracuse, New York. The university would actually charter buses to take the students to bars where they could drink. And of course, the school furnished them with credit cards at exorbitant interest rates. And the kids would go to these bars and drink and drink and drink. And then during the week, they would sit and sit and sit. And these are two very high uh, risks 
for colorectal cancer. And there were a lot of kids that would graduate from college literally with a bar tab uh, in excess of $20,000 with the compounding interest and everything else. And this is something that the university, you know, aided, abetted, and facilitated. Um, So chronic conditions like inflammatory bowel disease, type 2 diabetes, all of which are on the rise. But experts are not entirely convinced these are the only reasons colorectal cancer is increasing among young people. Well, that would be reason enough when you realize that this, uh, that the generations from 1950 to the present have been experiencing increased sedentary lifestyle due to their schooling, increased alcohol intake due to the values that are being transmitted at school. My daughter went to college. She called home and said, I said, oh, hey, how's it going? She said, oh, mom, it's just doing great. I'm learning how to go clubbing. I said, well, what's that? Well, I'm learning how to go to nightclubs and drink alcohol. I said, well, is that on the curriculum? Well, yes, of course. You know, we have to learn how to, how to network. I said, well, I, I don't know if you need to work too hard on that skill. Um, whereas when I was going to school, uh, which is um, the, actually as recently as the 70s, if you wanted alcohol, you had to go find it yourself. The, the school was not going to point you in the direction of the bar and tell you you need to go there, drink alcohol, and learn how to network. Um, but this is a whole new attitude on the part of colleges. They feel they need to teach their students how to drink and encourage it. These are not the only reasons that colorectal cancer is increasing among young people. While rates of cancers tied to human papillomavirus have been rising in recent years, that virus causes mainly cancers of the cervix, anus, or back of the throat, and only a small number of cases of rectal cancer. So what has HPV got to do with this? So, so cancers linked to HPV are going up, even though the vaccine's been introduced? What's up with that? So the honest truth is nobody knows 100% why there's an increase. Well, I know. Said Dr. Mohammed E. Salim, an assistant professor at Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center at Georgetown University. I'm telling you, if you have a kid that's gone to college in the last 15, 20 years, you know exactly why colorectal cancer is increasing. Okay, he says that he is older than about 60% of his patients, and he's 42. And so he's treating um, colorectal cancer, and most of his patients are under 42. So it's hard to blame it on obesity alone. We suspect there's also something else going on. And this is really heartbreaking when you have a disease that is this devastating with risk factors that are so obvious. And these uh, researchers, reporters, are literally stepping over the obvious. But anyone, like I said, who has got kids that have gone to college can tell you exactly. You give them a list of colorectal cancer risk factors, they can tell you exactly why this young generation has had so much cancer. Because by now, we know the rates are going up. It's been reported several times. The latest analysis is the largest and most detailed to date, looking at large cancer registries, reporting only half a million cases dating back to 1974 to assess rates by five-year age group and birth. So here we have Chris Roberts, age 30, who learned he had colon cancer after he lost 20 pounds. So I found that in adults aged 20 to 39, colon cancer rates have increased by 1% to 2.4% a year since the mid-80s. 
So if you increase something by 2% a year over a period of 30 or 40 years, well, I mean, you're doubling it. While rates declining overall among those 55 and older. So rates among adults 40 to 50 increased by half a percent per year. And so we see then that these highly educated people, people who have gone to school longer uh, hours, and basically looking at here is the school day um, for children has been lengthened from, like I said, five or six hours to nearly 12 hours. And that's just the K-12 through school day. And then you have the education of freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, this four-year educational process where the uh, human being is put in a chair for even longer hours and then filled with pizza and alcohol. So it's pretty, pretty clear why these rates are going up. It's just uh, too obvious. So rectal cancer incidence rates among adults in their 20s increased even more sharply, rising by 3.2% a year from 1974 to 2013. And while rectal cancer rates have declined overall among people 55 and older. Okay. So by 2013, nearly one-third of all rectal cancers were being diagnosed in people under age 55, compared with 15% of all rectal cancers being found in this age group in 1989-1990. From back when I was practicing medicine, um, you know, people over 50 got this type of cancer. Very few people, less than 15% of all cases, were in people under age 55. So whatever health interventions young people are getting, whether it's antibiotics, immunizations, whatever, maybe it's not causing this, but it's certainly not preventing this. And with this disturbing trend, it seems to me, one cannot make a compelling argument for medical intervention of any kind in any individual in this age group because medicine has clearly failed. Because during a period of time when medical intervention has increased astronomically in terms of required physical exams, in terms of immunizations, uh, in terms of people receiving antibiotics and people having health insurance coverage, this particular group uh, birth to 40 has just been devastated. So they're saying the risk is higher among African Americans. And the American College of Gastroenterology recommends they start screening at at age 45. So now, again, this is marketing. They're targeting a group based not on lifestyle, but on race, which is totally useless. And they're going to recommend to start screening at age 45. And so this is just a trial balloon, it's a trial balloon, just testing, just testing, to see if the African Americans are going to go for it. They're going to say, oh, wow, great, yeah, a recommendation for us. Oh, we feel so, so cared for. So they might say that, or they might say, hey, bug off. You're not sodomizing me. You need to go mess with the next guy. So we'll see how this, how this, uh, how this goes. So those with colorectal cancer may experience warning signs. The symptoms are typically vague, including general digestive complaints like diarrhea, constipation, cramping, or abdominal pain. So Tara Anderson, 40-year-old mother of four, had chronic constipation for years 
before seeking help at a free standing emergency room clinic in 2015 because she's in so much pain. There, a scan detected a tumor in her colon the size of a tennis ball. So let's back up. So she has chronic constipation for years. The constipation preceded her tumor. The tumor is the size of a tennis ball. It took a few years maybe to get that size. But we know she's had chronic constipation for years. Chances are it's been for a very long time, many years, like maybe 10 years. And so that would put the start date of the constipation as preceding the start date of the tumor, suggesting that the constipation may have contributed to the tumor. So a gastroenterologist who examined her a year earlier merely told her to increase her intake of dietary fiber to ease her constipation, she said. Fortunately, she said, her disease had not spread. But for Chris Roberts, who was 29 when he found out he had colon cancer, his first symptoms were weight loss and loss of appetite. So I lost about 20 pounds. I wasn't really trying to lose weight, but just didn't enjoy eating. He had just moved to New York City and did not have a regular doctor, but was fortunate enough to find a doctor who was determined to make a diagnosis quickly and ordered several blood tests and an ultrasound scan that found tumors that had already spread to Mr. Roberts' liver. So uh, he's been treated with chemotherapy, and he had surgery in January to remove parts of his colon and liver, and he said, I definitely want to get the word out. If you have symptoms that may be linked to cancer, colorectal cancer, any kind, get it checked, he said. So what's important here to point out is uh, he had just moved to New York City, so he might not have had a job, but he now will have a job being a spokesperson for um, cancer and sodomy. Now, notice the cancer in older people has declined, not due to colorectal screening, but due to dietary changes. And these same dietary changes, just like we mentioned earlier, um, changing the diet offered even in K-12 through can prevent this. But the diet that's offered, even encouraged in college, is, is uh, at least um, negligent, if not criminal. The, the food that these college students are encouraged to eat, um, the, the fast food, the fried food, um, the junk that's um, served to them at parties sponsored by the university, all of these things contribute to colon cancer, erectile cancer, to say nothing of just friggin' having them sit in a chair so long. You know, they need to shorten those classes from an hour to 15 minutes. Show up. Teacher tells you what the assignment is. Ask, answers any questions. And out of there. That's it. These kids should not be sitting in chairs for uh, six, eight, ten hours a day. And so this is, um, this is, is absolutely shocking. Then we go and take a look at the actual stats. And I like these little graphs, you know, that show you uh, kind of what's going on. And these graphs show the uh, instance of cancer in people uh, by age. And what it basically shows is that the instance of rectal cancer is just going up, 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 up in younger people, whereas it's actually um, taking a nosedive downward in older people. And if cancer is going down, you can't blame it on 
colonoscopies, because colonoscopies don't prevent cancer. All they do is detect cancer. So people who are getting colonoscopies are getting them, and these colonoscopies are not detecting um, cancer. So what's the moral of the story? What should you do? The answer is, well, first of all, cancer is a lifestyle uh, disease. And people who get cancer are people who sit a lot and people who eat uh, processed food that's had the fiber removed and don't drink much water. And that's basically um, the story. And unfortunately, the educational system, especially K-12 through and uh, bachelor's degree, are literally demanding that students adopt a dangerous cancer-causing lifestyle in order to attend these institutions and in order to graduate. So, of course, the first um, thing to understand, so the premise that sending your child to school of any kind, whether it's K through 12 or even college, is going to make him healthier and live longer, is just not true. So cross that off. What about the contention that these kids are going to get better jobs? Maybe they'll, um, you know, yeah, get better jobs. Um, you know, the economic lack of success in the under 40 crowd is, is, is pretty um, striking. So these people are saddled with debt from an education and not able to find a job that allows them to discharge this debt and live independent of their parents. So this is a big, big uh, problem. So in other words, the economic promise associated with a education simply has not materialized. So the benefit, which is longer life and economic success, has not materialized. Um, so, so we can't, there's no reason to, there's no evidence, my observation, to support the contention that an education, as it's now uh, administered, is the key to economic success. We do have evidence here from the medical industrial complex itself that these younger people are sick, 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 and they're getting sicker and sicker. They're far sicker than uh, their parents. And so we know it's not hereditary, right? So not genetic, not genetic. Um, And the education is failing to protect them. And even by the medical industrial complex's own confession, the education is actually making them sicker by the food um, provided. So the answer is ditch the schooling because there's a lot of downside and no upside. Um, And the other thing, which I was told when I was 16 years old, it's a very disturbing thing that someone said to me, especially since I plan to go to medical school, which is a very long educational uh, process. The person said, whatever job you will be doing as an adult will be a job that does not exist today. So here I was training for a job that did exist in 1975 or 1973 when I was 16. And I was told that most jobs that existed when I grew up would be jobs that don't exist today. That is still the case. So if your kid at birth is going to get a job that does not now exist, then how can education possibly help them? 
his education can't possibly prepare him for that job. They can only um, prepare him to be obsolete. If anything, what is the best thing for a kid to do is to get, if he's into jobs, get any job he can get um, as soon as he can, and then learn on the job, and that will prepare him for the next job. As the jobs are created, he will be right there, and they'll say, hey, there's this new job. Why don't we just train you since you're already working for this company? Uh, That is what makes sense. So homeschooling is absolutely a must. Why? Because getting control over your kid's diet is the best way to protect his health. So you've got to get control of the kid's diet. That means feeding him at home with food that you make. If if you have to send him to school for whatever reason, um, send a lunch with him and get him back in your custody as soon as you possibly can. No parent has the police power to get their kid to sit still for as long as the school does. I mean, the school makes those kids sit still, and if they don't sit sit still, by golly, they drug them. But most parents don't have the uh, intestinal fortitude, uh, you know, to um, do that. So, um, he's not. Okay, hi, we're back. Got a little uh, disconnected there, but we're back on air. All right, so the best bet then is to homeschool, uh, dispense with the sitting. If your kid wants alcohol, let him go buy his own. And uh, I think you'll find the kids will be a lot lot healthier. And um, don't submit the kids to anything involving the medical industrial complex because kids have been more medicalized now than ever before, yet they are... um, (laughs) Sicker than ever before. So that that is the thing to do. It's far better. A lot of people say, oh, you know, both parents have to work to give our kids everything they need, whatever that might be. Um, but what good is it if your kid's going to, you know, get his guts cut out with surgery uh, before he's 40? Far better to maybe skimp on the material things and give the kid a better life. I mean, who wants to walk around with a bag? It's no good. Okay, so we are at question answer time. I'd like to remind people, though, that we are having a Vitality Capsule sale. Our Share the Love sale has been delayed, but we are going to have it. It's this week, and it's going to start on Thursday. So go to vitalitycapsules.com, download your free report, Candidate Cleaner, leave your email address, and we are going to uh, we'll notify you of the sale. There you go. So we got tons and tons. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hi, Dan, Dan. How would you help someone with colorectal cancer? Uh, someone with colorectal cancer, uh, probably their best bet would be um, to start off with juicing, with clearing their intestines. Definitely turpentine. Uh, would be helpful, uh, but the the big deal is to is to do daily enemas and there's uh, an assortment of enemas that one can do. Um, but you've got to keep flushing uh, the intestines. 
The, the other thing is you have to reverse what caused the problem, right? So stop drinking alcohol, stop sitting, stop, and, and change the foods that you eat. And if you take constipation as an early sign of colorectal cancer and get rid of the constipation, poop three times a day, then that's, that, that's your best bet. Um, these people who are diagnosed with colorectal cancer, these young people, have been going to the doctor for some time complaining of constipation. So what this means then is you need to treat the early sign, which is constipation. That, that's, that's your bet. Okay, Dr. Downs, as long as your child is under the supervision of the school system eight hours a day, <laughs> there's always a way for the child to receive, uh, they say something, I'm not sure what something is, things that you don't want the child to get. What do you think about this, doctor? Uh, absolutely true. In fact, when your child crosses a threshold into the school, he is basically under arrest. He is in the custody of the government, and he does not have the, the right or freedom to leave, and you do not have the right or freedom to enter that school to get your child. So most parents are not aware of this, but when your child enters a school building, your child is under arrest. He is under the supervision and total control of the government. The government, in, as represented by the, um, the nurse, the teachers, and the administration, are called locum parentis. In other words, they are now considered that child's parent in that spot. In other words, you, the parent, are not considered the child of the parent when your child is in school. The school is considered the parent, and they can administer any drug they want. They can administer any food substance or chemical they want to your child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Dr. Daniels, does your child belong to the state from birth if you get a birth certificate? That's a good question. You know, because I had unusual parent uh, patients in my medical practice. So most of the patients in my medical practice did not get a um, birth certificate for their child, the child's at least a year old. What this means then is you're not going to get tracked down for uh, immunizations. The next thing you do is they have the child at home. So those are the two things to do. So a lot of people say, well, what do you do if you have a child at home? How do you get a birth certificate? Um, whether you're Christian or not, um, it's considered a legal record for you to have a Bible and you can write in the back or front of the Bible, uh, you know, the kid's name, the date he was born, the time he was born, and if you want the place, like uh, the address of the house he was born in. And if you want, you can have your minister, I don't know if I'd recommend that, you can have your minister sign it as well. But that kind of record um, suffices as a, as, a birth, as a birth certificate. And the government then, at whatever point you wish to do that, should you wish to do that, will transform that into a uh, legal document. But I would say homeschool and put out the birth certificate for as long as you can, maybe till the kid's 12 or something. Dr. Dance, how can I properly do an enema without buying the harsh chemicals? Hmm. Uh, you can use distilled water. That's the place to start. So you should never, ever purchase an enema. You should make your own. So you can start with simply 
a quart of distilled water with two teaspoons of sea salt uh, at 104 degrees using an enema bag. That would be it. Okay. <laughs> okay, Dr. Dennis, this is a comment. I think that most parents don't have the intestinal or testicular fortitude to protect their children by homeschooling. Um, that is unfortunately true. And I think the only reason that's true is they don't really they don't realize what they're giving up. They don't realize how dangerous this education is. They don't realize that this education is compromising their child's health for the rest of his life. And now you have the medical industrial complex saying so, saying, well, you know, at our best count, there's going to be an additional 4,000 deaths per year of adults just because of present uh, dietary policies in school. And now we can see this devastating cancer because of the activity policies of sitting these kids down in a chair and of feeding them processed foods and then at the college level facilitating um, and encouraging the ingestion of alcohol. How can a parent avoid vaccinations for the child without going to jail? Okay, so we already talked about easy, simple, right? Have the kid at home. Don't get a birth certificate. You know, take your time on that. So that gets rid of the vaccines at least for the first year. And then by that time, uh, and with technology, I'm sure you'll think of uh, more ways. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so Dr. Daniels, it is a driven game. If they can get blacks and Native Americans to focus all their political power on health care, prescription meds, and substandard school debt, (laughs) that's right, instead of growing independent black businesses, then that's a way to steal all the money in those minority communities and they want to make us ask and beg for it back on top of it. That is true. These are political mind games, and they put so much money into. And I think the thing to grasp here is that these mind games are being played on everybody in the United States, regardless of their um, background, ethnic background. You know, I, I went to Harvard, and literally, to me, it was heartbreaking. I couldn't believe it. There were parents who put all their money into the education of this one kid that was going to Harvard and told all the other kids, go fish. You're on your own. We're putting all our, all our chips on Johnny, and the rest of you have got to do what you can do. That is devastating for a family. To say nothing of the fact that this kid that they bet on, he did so well at Harvard, at four years of Harvard, that he went and did a Rhodes Scholarship overseas for two years. Again, no income yet, right? And he did so well at that. He came back to Harvard and got admitted to Harvard Medical School for more years of no income. And he did so well at that, 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 that. A, uh, you know, an advanced degree. And so this kid literally, literally, because he was such an educational success, he spent almost 40 years of his life in non-productive activity. When I say non-productive, I mean no grandkids, no job, no bank, nothing. So this education is absolutely devastating to a person's ability to assume their place as an adult making adult decisions. 
Well, we're done. It's the end of our time. We've only got a few seconds left, so definitely check out vitalitycapsules.com. Get your report, candidate cleaning report, and make sure you've got your email address so you can find out about our three-for-one sale coming up. And, as always, think happens. Oh, and you're listening to Rainbow Soul and nothing tonight with medical advice. <laughs> okay, see you next week. <laughs>